Let's go ahead and start. We pray. Lord God, bless your word wherever it is proclaimed. Make it a word of power and peace to convert those who might yet to Rome and to confirm those who have come to saving faith. May your word pass from the ear to the heart, from the heart to the hip, and from the lip to the life. That as you have promised, your word may achieve the purpose for which you sent it. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, we're still uh, continuing the conversation on uh, the benediction. I think we're roughly right around here. So we did read Numbers a little bit. Uh, numbers 20 or numbers 6, 22 to 27. Uh, we haven't exhausted it. I, I have a few other comments I'd like to make and, and also to discuss. Um, I was looking at the notes in uh, the Lutheran Study Bible. You know that's in distinction from just simply Lutheran Study Bible, which is the ELCA version, which I think was published about the same year as the Lutheran Study Bible. Um, but there's some notes in here, and uh, if you don't have a copy of the Lutheran Study Bible, I'd encourage you to consider consider uh, purchasing one. I, I know it's ESV. Um, I don't know how you feel about ESV or what you think of it, um, but it does have uh, uh, helpful notes, commentary um, at the bottom of the page. In fact, uh, on some pages, most of the page is actually commentary. Um, in addition to the text, uh, Luther's small catechism is there, also prayers throughout. And they're like very helpful resource. But I'd like to read uh, some of the notes that are given um, on some of these verses from 22 to 27 of number 6. This, of course, if you recall, is where the Lord speaks to Moses saying, Speak uh, to Aaron and his son, saying, Thus you shall bless the people. And with reference to uh, bless the people, uh, there's a reference to uh, basically key terms and phrases um, actually in the Psalms. And I like to read uh, the word bless and then also blessed, uh, the definition given. Um, basically, it means to bestow ability for success, uh, according to, to uh, these definitions here, from the greater person to the lesser or to praise a person's ability for success from the lesser person to the greater. Um, and, uh, you know, bless, you know, it, it's not only, uh, and it's not uh, primarily kind of a wish, um, especially from God to us. God to us, blessing, giving his gifts, uh, giving his, his goods, that's from the greater to the lesser. But uh, interestingly, uh, tomorrow night, when we have our uh, Ascension Day service, the, the Gospel reading is from Luke 24, where we have this uh, kind of uh, responsive blessing in the sense that Jesus blesses the disciples and he ascends as he's blessing them. But then, um, and I'm not sure this is so clear in the English, but it's often translated... Uh, that uh, they, the disciples worshiped God and he or worshiped Jesus and they do but they also blessed him that's from the lesser to the greater so kind of in the sense of praise bless refers to bending the knees perhaps to kneel and receive a pronouncement of inheritance with all its wealth Genesis 27 is given as an example bless the Lord has 
Blessed the Lord has agreed and is common in the Psalms expressing thanks and praise. In faith, praise is the greatest gift we can offer to God. The blessing that came from the temple at Jerusalem now resonates through the church brought by pastors, missionaries, teachers, and other Christians who proclaim the gospel of Christ's sacrifice. And then under blessed, um, it has the word blissful, having God's gifts. Um, oftentimes we'll think of blessedness or being blessed as being happy, but it has a greater sense of uh, uh, a state of being more so than an emotion. Um, having, having lived a few years, um, I'm, I'm coming to the understanding that emotion kind of goes up and down, up and down, sometimes down, 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 sometimes up, 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 you know, vice versa. It's like a roller coaster, right? Um, be, before, well, I, I guess even during marriage, but if you remember uh, before marriage, if you were, if you had a boyfriend or girlfriend, or just any kind of friendship, relationship. Yep, up and down. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't always steady, right? Um, yeah, it, so it, it, it somewhat varies, but God's blessing um, is constant, and it's independent of one's emotion. You know, so, uh, you know, God's blessing, for example, and God's promise of His presence and His blessing in the Lord's Supper and baptism in His Word, uh, does it change dependent on us? It's always there, even if we don't feel it. And that's why I've, I've expressed this before. If anyone ever leaves a, uh, uh, a service where sins have been forgiven, having confessed their sins, and they say, you know, I didn't get anything from the service, what are they actually saying? Well, yeah, um, but they don't believe in, in God's forgiveness, really. I mean, that's, um, you know, I didn't feel any different. Well, you might not feel any different, but that doesn't say anything about what God did, what God does through his word. Yeah. Um, having, you know, been in the pulpit for 15 decades and, having the Beatitudes come around every so often. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I recall back in the 70s, they had this Good News for Modern Man translation yeah. come out. And Is that the green one? No, I'm thinking of the way. I don't know. These two have a couple of black blue ones. Or a medium blue. Right. Right. But anyways, yeah, yeah. in paperback and right. all that and so forth. But anyway, what really struck me is that the Beatitudes and the Good News for Modern Man was translated, happy are the persecuted, <laughs> right. for my yeah. name's sake. And to go like, you know, again, just complimenting what you're saying about happy sounds more like an emotion. I mean, I guess it can mean that, but but I also would help me kind of package that a bit more Psalm 103, where David is blessing the Lord. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I think we kind of forget that blessing goes both ways. God blesses us, and we can bless Him. And what kind of helped me, I guess, as I dug into the etymology of the word, and you threw out a few very good ones there, but uh, but I didn't hear this one, and that is favored. I don't know if we can remember way back when, when we were in school, there, there was always the teacher's pet. Everybody knew who the teacher's pet was. I don't know if anybody sitting here was the teacher. No, I was the one in the corner all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but 
But if you happen to have been in that position where the teacher highly favored you as her favorite student, you probably enjoyed that position. And, and probably, in a kind of a sinful way, enjoyed the, everybody else's envy. <laughs> You know, like, oh, the teacher likes you best. You people know, so. were mean, yeah. People were mean. If you, I had a math teacher in seventh grade that really liked me. Yeah. And, yeah, the kids were mean to me. Yeah. But, but apart from that, you know, <laughs> to, to be highly favored, in fact, that's, I think, what the angel said to Mary. You know, you were highly favored among women. That, that when God highly favors us, it makes me think of John 3.16, that God so loved the world, but he also so loved us that in a way God was saying you're my favorite. Well, you go like, how can I be his favorite when there's you know six billion people in the world? Well, he's God, and he can favor us highly, and regardless of how many of us he loves. And that's the amazing thing about God. I mean, as parents, if we show favoritism to our kids, that's not fair. But but God can be fair by favoring all of us equally through through our Savior. And I think it's as we grow mature in that, as David did, I think then we can say, God, blessed are you. In other words, we're saying, you're my favorite. <clears throat> in other words, it's a compliment to the first commandment. That we favor God above everything else. That we worship Him, praise Him, and adore Him above all else. So that's kind of how I see what David is saying when he says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Of course, he itemizes many of the things God has blessed him with. Mm. You know, forgiveness and redemption and so forth. But, but he kind of in return blesses the Lord. And uh, so, I mean, I think we sometimes maybe think of blessing as something that a superior does to an inferior. And, and maybe so. But, but here, in a redeemed condition, we can return the the concept of blessing by saying, God, you're my favorite. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I don't know if I'd say favorite. I'd say number one. But, uh, well, favorite above all else. Things. But yeah, yeah. You know, you shall have no other gods before me. Yeah, what you were saying uh, reminded me of what, uh, what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, verse 3 of chapter 1 in Ephesians. Uh, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so praise His name, honor Him, first and foremost, right? Above everything else, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You know, and, and, and you know, in another way, you know, to, to think of this, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, can we do anything to change what is in the heavens right now? And of course the answer is no, right? Uh, so you know the, these are these are from God and, and uh, you know in, in numbers as well in other places too um, you know the, the blessing first and foremost comes from God to us to us who are undeserving so you know this is a way to uh, to also consider what are sometimes considered all the covenants in the Old Testament you know um, I, I've heard phrases like you have the the um, Adamic covenant you have the Abrahamic covenant, um, you have the Noahic covenant, you know, but these are all established by God. Uh, the covenant of circumcision, uh, most clearly, 
as well as you know with the rainbow in Genesis 9 um, that co those covenants were and promises were established not by man but by God and uh, you know so the covenant of circumcision was not so much for God it was for Abraham and his descendants uh, to remind them and to move them to to trust in God's promises and to see who they were and, and so in a similar way baptism too is not our work it's God's work and by means of our baptism um, as we remember that, um, you know, it might be remembrance in the sense of, okay, I have a certificate, I know I was baptized, water was poured on my forehead, you know, with in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, as we remember that, um, we remember also uh, God's word, God's promises, and then reflect and um, ponder anew God's grace and his mercy upon us undeserving servants servants. He does it all. And he is the one who cleanses. So again, in Ephesians, referring to that, in chapter 5, you know, there's the uh, there's the relation that Paul gives uh, the man and the wife, or the, the husband and the wife to Christ and the church. And what Christ does for the church in giving himself in sacrifice for her, why? To present her spotless and without blemish in the last day before the Father. Right? So all of that is going on and, and this blessing, uh, go back to number six if you're not there already. Um, but uh, there's also reference in, in this uh, Lutheran Study Bible, the Lutheran Study Bible, um, which I, I think is, uh, you know, uh, great for consideration and necessary. But we also have kind of a, a Trinitarian formula in a sense, um, even here in Numbers. So if you look at verse 24, the Lord bless you, the Lord make his face shine on you, verse 25, and then verse 26, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. Um, and again, there's a there's a note here. Um, let's see if I can find it. Uh, yeah, um, but basically, uh, you know, what a threefold repetition. Yeah. Um, after introducing new regulations for the camp, that is uh, in chapters 1 through 6 up to this point, the threefold repetition of the divine name anticipates the threefold name Jesus uses in Matthew 28, 19. Now, Matthew 28, 19, going, therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, we, we see these series of three, uh, you know, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, too. Um, one that kind of stands out would be Isaiah 6. Let's turn to that. Isaiah chapter 6. And I, I think this may or may not be one of the Old Testament readings or one of the readings for a Trinity Sunday. Sometimes it's not. But we do have a basis. Um, one of our hymns is based on this, uh, on this text. And that's uh, the vision of the Lord uh, that God gives to Isaiah. And specifically, the verse I want to look at is verse 3. And uh, uh, this is where uh, one calls to another. That is one of the seraphim. There's two seraphim. Something about wings covering their, you know, covering their face and feet and so on and so forth. Uh, one called to the other. One seraphim called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of glory. You know, the, the thrice holy 
right? Holy, holy, holy. Uh, now, one thing you don't want to do is go out and say, hey, look, this uh, clearly uh, speaks of the Trinity here, you know, to someone who does not hold that position. Uh, they're going to scratch their head and holy, 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 how is that Trinitarian? You know, there's similarity, of course, in, in having three, but, uh, but I mean, we could say this is expressive of the Trinity, but not it is not explicit. Identifying Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? The same thing with Genesis chapter 1, um, which, again, I would contend is Trinitarian, but not, uh, not explicitly. Well, I want to say explicitly it is. Uh, but uh, whenever, uh, whenever supporting defending doctrine, what, what God says, it's, it's uh, necessary to go to the clearer passages rather than the not-so-clear passages. But if you look at Genesis 1, uh, you find uh, very interesting. You have the Father, you have the Son, and you have the Holy Spirit. In verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In verse 2 of Genesis 1, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. Right. So immediately we have, I would say, God the Father and then God the Spirit. And then, in verse 3, we have God speaking. Speaking what? The Word, right? Now, that this is expressive of the Trinity, um, but, uh, um, but I, I think uh, we're much safer going to, for example, Matthew 28, you know, various other places. Um, throughout the scriptures that, that speak of God the Father, or Father is God, the Spirit is God, and the Son is God. And then also the places, too, that address uh, God being one. For example, Deuteronomy 6. You know, hear, O Israel, the, you know, it's, it's called the great Shema, hearing. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And similarly, I think it's in 1 Corinthians 8, uh, where Paul also says, uh, for us there is but one God. And then there's reference to Father and but uh, let's get back to Numbers chapter 6, at least for a little bit longer. Um, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you, man, and give you peace. So um, with, with these, again, insights from, uh, from the Lutheran Study Bible, uh, the first part of these blessings have to do with God moving, right? And then also the activity um, the, the, of, of what God is doing. So first, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. You know, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And this is not far removed, of course, from having God's favor, right? Um, earlier in Exodus, God tells Moses that no one could see his face and live, right? Um, and then go to the New Testament in John's Gospel, um, we have Jesus Christ, you know, who, who, uh, you know, who, uh, in whom or by whom one sees the Father. So, in other words, uh, you know, it's it's a scary thing. There, there is a, a place or places in Scripture that's saying um, it's a scary thing to fall into the hands of God, and it is, right? 
This is what all do who do not have Jesus Christ as their mediator. They desire to look on God in all his glory, but yet they are sinners. And sinners can't look on the holy God without some kind of mediation going on, right? So Paul says in Timothy, for example, or Paul writes to Timothy, there is, there is a, one God or one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. Who's also God enfleshed, right? He's the mediator, and through Him, then therefore we do know God's will. We do know God's heart, His uh, disposition towards us, which is nothing but favorable because of Jesus Christ. But what about that sin I did a couple weeks ago, or last year, or even this morning, yesterday? What about those? Well, Jesus' blood covers those too, and uh, you know, so if. Um, you've probably seen this before, but, um, you know, how does God see us <clears throat> except in Christ? You know, now, if, if we don't have Christ, how does God see us? Yeah. Um, it's intriguing that you were talking about explicit versus implied or whatever. Yeah. Um, I really kind of see, and I can't remember what you said about Deuteronomy 6 here, but uh, to me it's pretty explosive. <laughs> and, and, and it's so parallel to Matthew 28. Yeah. And, and as the Trinity has been revealed to us in the New Testament, I know that as Christ walked with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, he opened their hearts to understand the fulfillment of the scriptures that he is the fulfillment and and I see just what we teach in catechism verse 24 is the creator you know who not only creates us but sustains us and keeps us yeah. in, in body mind and soul um, you know so verse 24 is the father you know but what's interesting here is Yahweh the Lord is all three there's one Lord, Yahweh, and yet we see the mystery of the Trinity coming through. Yeah. Verse 25, just wow, it just jumps off the page. Lord, make his face to shine upon you. Jesus says to Philip, if you've seen me, in other words, his face, you've seen God. You've seen the Father who sent me. And, and then it gets even more specific that by looking into the face of Christ, the second person of the Trinity, there we find grace. And it's not accidental that verse 25 is talking in the sense of the second person of the Trinity. Is that's where we find His grace. Be gracious to you. And then verse 26, to lift up His countenance upon you. In other words, there's that favor again. To, to look, you know, <clears throat> not with the down countenance or anger or wrath, but because of the grace we have through Christ, it's a positive countenance. We Look at God and not be yeah. fear-filled. Right. Um, but He gives us what? Well, the Holy Comforter is the Paraclete. He gives us what? Peace. Yeah. You know, the true peace that yeah. surpasses understanding. Uh, the kind of peace that the world is not given. It's to me kind of impacting. Or it's an impactful concept that this is the last word that's really spoken liturgically. Peace. You know, and it's, you know, the angels, we kind of, in the earlier part of the liturgy, we're singing 
the com echoing what the angels sang at the birth of Christ. And what also I find kind of intriguing is verse 27, uh, where God says to Moses through Aaron, Thus you shall evoke, invoke or place my name on the sons of Israel. And it's kind of, again, parallel and emblematic to Matthew 28, where it says to baptize not in the names, plural, but singular, the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So there is that dynamic of the mystery of the oneness of the Trinity, but yet the three distinct persons. Not three names, but one name. In other words, Yahweh, the I Am, is being placed upon us in our baptism, and also as we are ready to depart the divine service, to go back out into that mean, cruel world, we hear that favored name placed upon us. Recalling our baptism is how we entered into the, into the presence and, and the family of God. And now it's not just a one-time blessing, but it's one that goes with us into the whole you know, following week, the days ahead. There's, there's a passage in John 1 speaking of uh, verse 25. Passage in John 1, verse 17, where, where John writes, The law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus there you Christ. Go. Yeah. And then verse 18, uh, interestingly, the ESV translated, translates it this way, No one has ever seen God, semicolon, the only God who is at the Father's side has made him known referring to Jesus, right, having made the Father known. So to see the face of Christ is to see right. God's grace and to actually see God. The, uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit, I, I believe, also is spoken of as a guarantor, right, of our inherited possession, right, of that which is to come. Um, so, I mean, it, it's, it's fascinating because, you know, this is the way that, that God gave uh to the high priest and his sons, the priests, to bless the people. And, I mean, there, there's that uh, kind of, uh, you know, uh, summary, so to speak, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel. You know, it, it's not just a, okay, farewell. You know, It's uh, an identity. Be of good cheer, yeah. It's like, you know, being adopted into the family, now we bear his name. Mm -hmm. You know, his yeah. surname is, is our name. That we are Christians. Mm -hmm. We're in the family. Right. Right. Yeah. So I mean, it, it is. It is quite quite revealing when you look at these words. So I shall put my name. What does what does baptism do? Right. I mean, there's well, let's look at yeah baptism. Yeah. So how do we? You know that the service technically or officially starts with the invocation, and it officially ends with the benediction. God doing it. You know. Um, and, and, and not only that, but uh, God bringing us into the kingdom. And I, I was kind of watching a video, and I, I wanted to ask, uh, you know, possibly would you like to watch a video next week? It won't be for the whole time necessarily, but uh, you may have heard of a Pastor Bill Whedon, um, Reverend Bill Whedon, Will Whedon, I should say. But he used to be, uh, I think the, what is the title uh, at, the, uh, um, at the headquarters, LCMS, um, in, in St. Louis. I think he used to be the chaplain of worship mm -hmm. there for a few years. Now he's in Illinois. Um, but he had a, he, he, uh, 
there's a video of him and another asking about the Lutheran Church. You know, and he, he kind of is, is, is uh, expressing, explaining uh, what goes on in the divine service, which I, I think might be a, a nice encapsulation of, of this. So um, it's, uh, I, I think it's just over 30 minutes long, so maybe, maybe next time we could watch it and then take a break and then we'll talk about it. But he's Lutheran, I mean, which is really kind of nice. Uh, at least Pastor Whedon is, you know. And he is not, by the way, he's not ashamed of the liturgy. I, I just heard him recently um, talking about uh, Lutheranism and uh, and its liturgy and, and the like in response to uh, the, this idea that much of what Lutherans do, at least in, in worship, their liturgy, you know, you've probably heard the response, that's very Catholic. Well, and it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, one of his responses, depending on you know how it was said and the like, he said, "Thank you for noticing." You know, um, and then and then he would go on to explain what he means by that. You know, and, and we understand, you know, to a, to a, a larger or greater or lesser degree, that that Luther did not want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Right? He. Luther did not want to reinvent the church, nor did he want to say everything that the Catholic Church did was bad. But what he did want to do is take out the bad, which conflicted with the gospel. Um, but there were those uh, in Luther's day, as well as still in ours, who kind of see everything Catholic as bad, regardless of what it is. Um, and, and that's why, like, even, like, uh, you may have heard of a group called the Anabaptists. Um, you know, in, uh, in Luther's day, they, they, were, they were also, uh, there was also the, the, the title of radical reformers. And while the Catholic Church used music, music is bad to use in church. So, so then when they had services, they had services without music. Um, I, I don't know if they sang a cappella because I don't know there could be some kind of melody there too, right? Singing um, and the like. But you could, you know, there, there were some extreme groups that you know said because the Catholics did this, we can't. Well, they would have thrown out the, the chaining too because that's Catholic as well. Right. And and so on, on this uh, in this interview, it's kind of interesting because he he, he references that um, he says there's a there was a um, a meeting with Lutheran and some other reformers, you know, about kind of working together. And uh, the the comment made by this individual, he was not Lutheran, um, but but he attended a divine service, and it, it's almost like he was checking off the box. That's Catholic. They chanted. That's Catholic. You know, uh, they actually spoke in Latin. Well, that's Catholic. You know. Uh, and everything else, and uh, what what he failed to recognize is the distinction. And I, I think many today fail to recognize the distinction between what is truly Catholic, with the small c, universal, compared to that which is, uh, you know, in line with Roman Catholicism or Catholicism with the big C, right? Um, so things like, uh, you know, if, if if we were to take everything out of uh, out of the, the divine service that is Catholic. We would have very little left. We would have the gospel, for sure, um, but but also the readings. You'd have to have those out too. And and by the way, um, 
depending, you know, I, I think there's a great misunderstanding of where these things came from. It wasn't the Catholic Church in the sense of denomination. It was from the Christian Church. You know, so, I mean, the glory of Patri, you know, glory be to the Father, or, you know, the invocation, the benediction. Uh, what about the uh, the glory in Excelsis? Where's that from? Well, you can't take that out really easily and say, you know, by saying this is Catholic. Well, it's Catholic in the sense of universal Christian. This is actually based on the scripture. And and what he was what he was drawing attention to, I know there's a couple of comments or questions, um, but uh, what he was kind of getting at is, is uh, or what he was talking about a little bit too, is not only those who say things are too Catholic, but he was kind of um, admonishing the Lutherans who want to dumb down or compromise, well, you know, we can't confess our sins. The claim is sometimes made. We can't confess our sins because that's offensive to people. And so you have congregations in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, that omit, you know, the, the confession of sins. Well, if you do that, I guess you have to omit the absolution, too, because if you don't confess your sins, if you don't have any sins, I guess you don't have anything to be forgiven for, right? Um, and there, there are those who want to change the creed. Um, or even omit the creed, or not say the prayer, and so on and so forth. And and what he was commenting on, and I, I think this is what I'm taking home from the conversation uh, that I heard between him and the other, and, and that is this, that those who want to change the service or throw things out of the service or compromise, he, he drew attention to this, he said, they have a problem with the doctrine. They have a problem with something that is said, not how it's done. Right? So if, if someone wants to take out, for example, the confession of sins because it's offensive, what is problematic with that in, in relation to the word? And they don't ask that. You know, it's always self-centered, you know, uh, person-centered or societally centered. It's not word-centered. So if someone has a problem with the liturgy, for example, he was noting, and, and I think this is something to think about, if someone has a problem with the liturgy, um, it's not necessarily how, but what, the content. What is the teaching involved with this? Because the prayer of the church, the collect of the day, the glory and excelsis, the sanctus, you know, the, the agnus dei, I mean, all, and, and he expressed this too, which I, I think is profound, and, and I'm sure it'll come out in the, in the video too, because they talked about it. Um, but, but this, this, uh, um, this truism that, the liturgy actually teaches and confesses what we believe. You know, so the real presence, for example. And we talked about this with reference to, uh, you know, the, the Sanctus, the Agnus Dei, uh, the Nunc Dimittis, Lord, now you let your servant depart in peace. All of this has to do centered on Jesus Christ and where he is, according to his word. Right? So in other words, um, when we say, Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world, when do we sing that? right before reception of the Lord's Supper. What about the Sanctus? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, and, and the like. We say that also prior to, because we're confessing there that Jesus Christ is really and truly present. The holy, holy, holy is in our midst, um, in his word and sacrament. And then the Nuptimittis, of course, we sing after having received, and we are prepared even for death on account of what God himself has given us, what he has made known, what he has done for us. 
that was given to us in the word summer. Okay. You still remember your comments? I know yes. there were a couple. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. Martin Luther, we were the true Catholic Church. He didn't want to be a Lutheran church. Mm -hmm. We were the true Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think today, too, I, you know, uh, along the lines with that, I, I think what a wonderful opportunity with them we have in our day. You know, um, I, I know denominationalism, you know, uh, you know, does have its challenges in using terms like Lutheran, Catholic, and the like. Um, but, but perhaps, you know, to be clear, or to give clarity, maybe not, not, not using pejorative terms so much, or the stereotypes, but actually speaking what we believe, teach, and confess, right? Not denying the one, you know, I mean, we, we say we're Lutheran, but anymore we have to also qualify what we mean by Lutheran, right? And that's, uh, you know, essentially speaking the truth, you know, uh, especially, uh, especially um, in the public square, too, where we have a floor to do that, okay? You and then, it's, you know, I mean, we were, we're talking about, you know, how church developed from the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. But you have to remember, too, and I mean, you brought it up when we say the number of minutes. We're going all the way back to, to the time in the temple. Right. You know? and yeah. So a lot of these things that we haven't really looked at, you know, have their beginning in the first and second centuries, you know. I mean, we're, so it's not just that we go back to the Catholic Church, but we go back to the, to the original like you say, the small C, the universal church. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and you know, like the psalmody, you know, the intro. Yeah, the psalm, you know, we're going even further back. You know, I mean, those were chanted in the in the temple, probably mm -hmm. by somebody, because you had singers. I mean, you know, I mean, Moses yeah. said, you know, he when he split the Levites, you know, there were singers and there were gatekeepers and so yeah. on and so on. So I mean, yeah. part of that is still going even further back. Than, yeah. And, and this would be, you know, I, I, you know, just, you know, kind of shooting from the hip here. Um, you know, Jews today, um, if they were Christian, how would they understand the Psalms? How would they use the Old Testament entirely differently than they do now if they believed in Jesus Christ? So, I mean, you know, think of the transition or the distinction between Saul before his conversion who later became Paul after his conversion. You know, he was gung-ho against the Christians until until the Lord changed his mind, changed his heart. And then everything that he had learned before about the Old Testament, he reinterpreted, I guess, from Judaism, you know, Phariseeism, you know, to, to the way, Christianity. And that's what he began to preach almost immediately, it seems. Yes. Right? I mean, there, there was no hesitation. So as soon as he was baptized, you know, and he was given sight, he was given sight, spiritual sight, um, you know, into the, uh, you know, the the mystery of godliness, the mystery of what God himself was doing through Jesus Christ. Um, and, and then he began preaching to the Gentiles, as well as the Jews initially. And so, well, okay, let me go back a few moments. <laughs> to a, a word you used about radical. Yeah. And uh, I think in the context of the Anabaptist or fast forward 500 years to those who are anti-liturgical, anything Catholic has to go. Right. <clears throat> that really hasn't changed with certain groups. It's been that way. And I'd rather, 
I mean, the word radical allows me to, I think, also look at a synonymous word, which would be extreme. Yeah. And and I think that that's kind of the difficulty we find in trying to communicate with one another. When a person takes a radical position, they become extreme, and it's all or nothing. And that's why you know the stained glass windows have got to go. You know the pyramids have got to go. The statues have to go. Everything's got to go. It's like all or nothing. And so I, I find that it's. You, you very well pointed out, well, what about the lessons? What about the Lord's Prayer? <laughs> and this reminds me once again of a person who visited our church. He was in the military, and he was background as Plymouth Brethren. And it's a bit of an involved story. Some of you all remember him. Uh, but it was just amazing to me. It really struck me how he, when he first came into the service, the liturgical structure just was causing him to go white knuckle in the pew. I mean, he's kind of like, I guess he was thinking, this is so Catholic, what am I doing here? But once he got over the shock, he started actually paying attention to the service. Yeah. And he, he came to the conclusion of what you said earlier. It's all right out of the scripture. It all points to Christ. It's all about grace, mercy, and forgiveness, which comes to my other point of what you were talking about, and that's you know, the confession of sins is offensive. And you know what? It should be. Because it is offensive to the natural man. It is offensive to the old Adam. And it should be to us too. Not only to the visitor, the guest. But that doesn't mean we should go ahead and totally tailor the service so that natural man is totally comfortable in the worship setting. <laughs> He's not meant to be comfortable in that regard. And but those that constantly are trying to, again, remove anything that might offend anybody, you end up with nothing. I mean, Jesus, by his very presence in the temple, was an offense to the natural man. And so, you know, this is the whole thing about closed communion. And so many so-called, I'll say so-called Lutheran churches have abandoned the scriptural practice of closed communion because they don't want to offend anybody. But anybody that comes into the service and it's being done scripturally, confessionally, you know, that gives glory to Christ, they're going to be offended with regards to close communion. And I have seen it time and again where they get angry. Well, wait a minute. You're, you're a guest in someone else's church. I never go to someone else's house and get angry because they do things differently than I do. I mean, I'm in their church. So where's the respect, the patience, the opportunity to ask questions, you know, to learn, to communicate? Well, it's all or nothing. Back to the sense that they are radical in their concept of defending natural man. I, I just, uh, you know, one one response, and then I'll take a break, and, and that is, you know, sometimes many are more concerned about offending other people. Well, I thought I was thinking about that. You know, if we find if we find that you know asking for forgiveness of sins is for you know is offensive to to people, what I think that would be more offensive to God. Well, you're you're absolutely right because what has God said? You know, and 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 actually, you know, we, we many probably skip over this because it's it's too hard to swallow. 
mean, I, I think even for us, you know, we might kind of hesitate a little bit. But what does what does John write in his first epistle? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. He he also says in that context, you know, if we say we have no sin, we make God a liar, because he says what? We are sinners, right? We are in need of forgiveness. We are in need of peace and His blessing, uh, His favor, and that's exactly what God gives in the divine service, you know, by means of His Word. But the natural man loves the darkness. Oh yeah, yeah. It loves the lie. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's what we struggle with every day. Yeah, the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. 